How is everybody? I'm going to tell you how I am. I am tired. Uh, we got here this morning at 5, which is if you wake up for, for work that early on a regular basis, there should be some kind of inhumane law about that or something. Like if you go to work and the moon is still out, something is wrong. This is not how it should be. And uh, I left my garage and I was like, it's night still. I know it's not, but it looked like it. So um, glad you guys are here. It is a, a very different weekend, right? And uh, in, in however you found yourself here today, whether you're new or whether you've been with us for a long time, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, welcome and hope you feel at home and I hope you feel comfortable. We're very relaxed, very... Uh, just normal group of people for the most part. So glad you're here, and I um, hope that something has spoken today that, that resonates with you. If you've never been here, what we typically do is we go through whole books of the Bible, uh, not in one sitting. We go over it over a course of months. Um, but we just did the book of Revelation, which took us eight or nine months. We did the book of Habakkuk, which only took us a, about three weekends because it's a very, very short book. And, um, but this weekend, again, is, is a little bit different. So what we're gonna do today and this isn't a joke, I'm gonna start in Genesis and we're gonna end in Revelation. We're just gonna do the, the whole book, but we'll, we'll do it really, really rapidly. We'll run through it really, really quick. And my hope is this, is, is to give everyone in this room, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, is just to kind of do like a bird's eye view of the gospel. And when I say the gospel, some people think that's only a couple of books of the Bible. It's not, it's, it's, it's the whole message, this whole narrative. And I kind of wanna go over that a little bit and the reason why I just kind of want to focus on that and kind of keep it simple today and just kind of do this bird's eye view of what that book is about is we have a tendency, especially in the United States, we, we take holidays and we kind of twist and turn them and jumble them up to where by the time we're done with it, we don't even remember what the holiday's really about. We've done a really good job with Christmas, <laughs> right? We forget that Christmas is about Christ, right? We've made it all about all these other things, and you know we step over grandmothers to get to TVs on you know Black Friday and all this kind of stuff because we forgot what Christmas is about, and we've kind of done the same thing with Easter. We've kind of made it this kind of a carnival of events, and we kind of forget that it's really about a very simple but very impactful and important story. It's about the story of how God came to earth, died, rose again because we were disconnected from him. And sometimes I think we forget to just go back and sim like simply focus on what God has done for us. It is the, the good news. That's what gospel means. So we hope to kind of focus on that a little bit today. So if you're new, um, you should have received a handout when you walked in. It has everything I'm going to say in that. So if you'd rather like be on Facebook or something, you can just go back and read the notes later, right, and get the gist of it. Man, you guys are so quiet today. Everyone okay, right? <laughs> Did everyone wake up at 4.30 this morning or something? Is that what's wrong with everyone, right? So, uh, no, but you should have all the notes hand out. Has everything in there? Everything will be on the screens, so everything I say will be up there. If you have, excuse me, if you have a phone, the Experience Community app, you can download that, and we have all the notes and all the scripture on there as well, okay? So, I'm going to jump right into it. I'm going to teach a little bit. Again, we're literally going to go from Genesis to Revelation, We'll do kind of a brief overview of what the Bible is, and then at the end, we'll have communion. If you want to take that, and I'll explain that a little bit. We'll have prayer up here at the front if you want to get prayed for, and we'll have a couple of people up at the front. If you're not a Christian in here, which I'm especially glad that you're here, because maybe you'll hear something interesting today, uh, that we'll have some people at the front that if you have any questions about what we talk about, okay? All right, cool. The sun is out today, and that's pretty rad. 
And so I hope to go out and enjoy it today, and you should too. That's a wonderful thing. So I'm going to pray. We're going to dive into this. We're going to walk through this journey, and um, you can go and enjoy the rest of your Sunday, okay? All right. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Father, you're so good. Lord, thank you, God, for bringing us all in here today. Thank you, Lord, for uh, everyone just taking the time, God, to, to recognize what this day is really about. It's about you. It's not about us, God. It's not even about our family or our hanging out with each other. It, it, this is about you, Lord. It's about what you've done. Father, I pray that you just bless everyone in this room. Open up our eyes, open up our ears, help us to, to understand what we talk about today. God, we pray for every church in our city, Lord. We pray that you bless the churches and bless the leadership of those churches. We pray that you bless the nonprofits in our city, especially Portico that we're working with this month, God, that does such an important ministry. And Father, we just wanna thank you, and we want to uh, focus all the attention and, and all of our energy on you, God. We love you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, starting in the very beginning, just like I said, chapter three of Genesis. Let me read a little bit, then I'll go back and break it down, okay? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So the Lord asked the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God turned to the serpent. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And remember this next part. He says, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, the two chapters leading up to that part that I just read, Genesis 1 and 2 are some of my favorite in the entire Bible. The reason why they're some of my favorite in the entire Bible is I'm kind of a NASA geek. I like space stuff. I like stuff about planets. I like stuff about deep space. Love all that stuff. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the magnitude of God's creative ability. This is where the universe gets created in Genesis 1 and 2. This is where the earth, the water, the land, the atmosphere, the vegetation. It's interesting. The first thing we see God as in the Bible is an artist. He takes this big blank canvas and he adds light and color and depth and dimension and detail. How much detail? Look at the animals that God creates in Genesis 1 and 2. That we know of, there's almost a quarter of a million species of aquatic animals. 10,000 birds, 5,000 different kinds of mammals, 13,500 kind of reptiles for some reason, and then millions and millions of different kinds of insects, right? We all have like those questions we're going to ask God. I'm going to like, God, what was up with mosquitoes and snakes? What was the purpose, really, right? And who shot JFK? But... <laughs> all this creative ability that God has. And so 
after God created all these things, it's actually kind of humorous. When you go back and read Genesis 1 and 2, God would create something, he'd step back and go, that's pretty good, right? And so he would do that after every stage. But when God stepped back and saw the earth and the universe and the stars and all the different animals he had created, there was nothing he had created that looked like him. So the greatest thing that God ever made was you, humanity. We are the only thing that God ever made that was made in his image. We're also the only thing that he breathed a soul into. We are the only thing that is eternal that he has created. We live forever. We're above the environment. We're above wildlife. We've been given dominion over those things, not to abuse them, not so you can eat your Doritos and throw the bag out the window on the highway. That doesn't, well, I'm a Christian. I have dominion. That's not what that means, that we are to steward what God has given us, and that gives God glory. But he has given us this earth and everything in it to be in charge of it, right? And so not only did God create us and, and make us his masterpiece, his best work, he didn't need to have a relationship with us, but he wanted a relationship with us. Try to wrap your brain around this. The Bible alludes in Genesis that God would walk around with Adam and Eve in the garden, that he would show up, Adam and Eve are hanging out, and God would walk up and be like, hey, you guys wanna go for a walk? And they would go for a walk in the garden. That's amazing in this perfect environment where they could flourish and have all this freedom and they could commune with God. But as most of you know, I would dare say almost all of you adults in this room know this story, right? Whether you're a Christian or not, you know that we messed it up. Satan comes into the picture, gives Eve the fruit, she eats the fruit, gives it to Adam, he eats the fruit, and now because they were disobedient, sin has come into the picture. And when sin comes into the picture, it creates this gap this void between God and mankind. Now, I told you we were gonna go through the whole Bible. We're gonna go through a lot real quick right now. What happens is, is we have the Old Testament. If you can see, that's the Old Testament right there. It's a pretty, pretty big chunk, pretty significant part of this book. This entire chunk of this Bible is a pursuit. After the fall of mankind, God goes running after his creation. He starts chasing after them and he tries to get their attention. And shortly after the fall of man, right after we see the first bad thing happen in the Bible, it happens relatively early in the Bible, chapter three, though it seems like maybe all hope is lost, right? If you're reading the Bible for the first time, Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden. Life is forever going to be different. There's going to be this, this separation between God and man. You're like, oh no, what have we done? But in chapter three, God gives us a glimmer of hope. I told you to remember it. He says to the devil that he is going to send someone that will strike the devil's head and that the devil's head will bruise the person's heel. That is talking about Jesus Christ. God is saying, one day I'm going to send a savior. One day I'm going to send a hero, a Messiah, who is going to set everything back the way that it's supposed to be. So like I said, the entire Old Testament from Adam all the way to the book of Matthew running all through the Old Testament is God trying to get our attention. God would send messengers, we call them prophets, 
who would stand in front of the people and say, we have got to live differently. In fact, one of those prophets, a guy named Moses that wrote the first five books of the Bible, God gave him tablets that had a very detailed list. Do these things. Don't do these things. Trying to get our attention back onto God because this relationship had been fractured. And all throughout the Old Testament, these prophets, not only would they tell the people to turn back to God, they would prophesy, they would foretell the fact that a savior was coming. And God knew that one day it was going to get so bad, this distance, that God was going to personally insert himself into the equation. So we've kind of got an idea it's your first time ever hearing the story. You kind of have an idea from Genesis 1 and 2 how big of a deal God is, right? And the Bible says that everything was made through his son, Jesus Christ. So everything was made through Jesus Christ. Now, if we know that, and you look at the fact that Jesus is on his throne in heaven, why in the world would Jesus leave his throne and not only be amongst his creation, but actually be one of his creations. God was going to come to earth and show us how to live. Not only was he going to come to earth and show us how to live, but one of the prophets, a man named Isaiah, the biggest book of prophecy in the Old Testament, Isaiah not only said that, that one day God was going to send a savior, but this savior was going to die for us. He says that the Savior is going to bear our sicknesses, carry our pain, that he's going to be pierced. That's the cross, right? The nails through the hands and the feet. He's going to be pierced because of our sinful lifestyles, our transgressions, our iniquities. That Jesus was going to be punished so we could receive peace. Jesus was going to be wounded so we could be healed. Why? Not because God messed up, but look what he says, because we went astray. The reason why God had to send his only son wasn't because he made a mistake. It's because we made mistakes. Look at the second line. It says, we went our own way. That is still our problem today. The reason why some of us in this room are distant from God is we keep doing it the way we wanna do it. And it creates this void it creates this distance because we do it our way. And so look what Isaiah says. The son of God, the savior, the hero of the story is going to be struck down. Why? Because we are rebellious. Because we have made bad decisions. So as you continue on through the Old Testament and you reach the New Testament, again, most of you, even if you're not a Christian in this room, you've probably heard this, Jesus Christ was born. That's what we celebrate Christmas for, supposedly. Jesus Christ was born. He lived a very humble life, very modest life, until he was about 30 years old. And when he turned 30, as a young man, the older I get, the younger 30 looks, right? <laughs> it's pretty depressing. I turned 40 this year. And I thought I'd be like cool with that, but don't clap for that. That's terrible. <laughs> I don't want to be 40. <laughs> I don't feel 40. I'm starting to look 40, but I don't. Anyways, I'm getting off track. Thank you. She said I look 29. Did everyone hear that? Did you guys in the back hear that? She's close. Says I look 29. Okay, we can move on. So anyways, Jesus was a young man. He was 30 years old and he started his ministry. And for three and a half years, 
Jesus traveled around with a ragtag group of individuals, spreading all over Israel that the kingdom of God is coming. Of course, again, most of you know how this story goes. He was arrested. He was falsely accused of different things. They hung Jesus on a cross. They beat him. They spat on him, and they killed Jesus Christ. What we celebrate today, though, is not the death of Christ. It is the fact that he didn't stay dead. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. He came back from the grave, showing that he was powerful, that he could conquer death, and that he could heal and restore us. And this is the crescendo. This is the pinnacle of the Bible. This is the greatest action that has ever taken place in human history. Now, let me read you a little bit about after the crucifixion and resurrection, okay? Jesus says this, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that's the Old Testament, guys, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day in repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father has promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. So not only did Jesus come, he came with a purpose. A lot of different things that Jesus accomplished and continues to accomplish. One of the things that God accomplished is, is we would ask ourselves, how would God do things, right? Well, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, it tells us exactly how God would respond if he were one of us, because he was one of us. We, you know, we used to wear the cheesy bracelets, the what would Jesus do bracelets? I never wore them, but some people would wear these bracelets. And it's interesting, we ask, well, what would Jesus do? We know exactly what Jesus would do. The Bible tells us. We see how he would respond to difficult people. We see how he would respond to false accusations. We see how he would respond to all kinds of different events and circumstances that we go through. So when Jesus came, he showed us how to live. That's why we're called Christians. We're supposed to live like Christ. Not only did he live and show us how to live, he died for our sins. That means that all of the sins of the past, all of the sins of the present, all the sins of the future, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died so we can be forgiven of those things. That we don't have to be punished for the evil things we have done. God was punished for us. Jesus was punished for us. And we can find forgiveness of sins. He didn't stay dead though, like I said. Jesus rose from the grave. And not only did he rise from the grave, it talks about in this part that I just read, he tells his disciples to wait for what the Father promised. What the Father promised was the Holy Spirit, that now a part of God resides, lives in the Christian. That when we ask God into our heart, Jesus literally puts his spirit into our heart. And not only does that empower us now, right? 
It makes us the fathers and mothers and friends and brothers and sisters and employees and students. It makes us what God wants us to be. It empowers us to live the best lives we can. Not only does it do that for us now, that Holy Spirit also saves us for eternity. This is what God has done. Now, if you're new to this church, you don't know that I can sometimes be a little salty, right? If you've been coming here for a while, you're totally aware of this, right? Sometimes I can be just kind of a jerk a little bit. Now, let me tell you, if you're new, how much of a jerk I can be. Sometimes people say, I can't believe God would flood the earth and kill all those people. My response is, I can't believe God hasn't done that 19 times. (laughs) We are absolutely terrible to each other sometimes. We treat each other awful. We, We lie to people. We cheat on people. We steal. We hurt we can be quite awful. And if you want me to be honest with you, because I feel like I'm a pretty honest, transparent man, I'll tell you, sometimes it is hard to see the good in humanity. My wife sent me an article this morning, I think it was 140 people murdered in a church in Sri Lanka on Easter. That's terrible. And these kinds of stories are commonplace. We hear them all the time. Awful, terrible things. And so if we're being honest, if I'm being honest, I sometimes step back and I'm like, God, why would you do all this? Why would you give your only son for us? We're awful. Here's the reason why God does this. And I hope some of you hear this. God sees something in us that we don't even see in ourselves. He sees that we have true value. We are made in God's image. And when God looks down, he doesn't just see all the awful things we do. He cuts through all that crap and he sees just how precious we are. He sees how good we can become if we will rely on him. Going back to being a NASA geek, if there's any of you out there, One of the most famous NASA employees was a scientist named Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan was an atheist. He did not believe in God. Very brilliant man, but did not believe in God. When he was working on the Voyager missions that sent, uh, they sent basically satellites to go out and take images of Jupiter, but it took images of all kinds of different stuff, including an image that the the Voyager turned around. It It was on the outer perimeter of our solar system, and it took a picture of Earth from way, way out in the outer edge of our solar system. If you Google that picture, you can't even recognize Earth hardly. It's literally just a little pale blue dot. That's what Carl Sagan called it. He showed all the press this image, and right there in the middle was this little bitty pale blue dot, and he said, that's us. Now, to the atheist, to one that doesn't believe in a creator, Carl Sagan said, look, you see this vast picture of the universe, and we're just a blip on the map. That's how insignificant we are. That is not the way God sees us. On this huge map of all these planets and solar systems and stars and everything else, God not only sees the pale blue dot, he focuses in so intensely on that pale blue dot that the Bible says he knows every single hair on your head. You are extremely significant. On this huge, vast canvas of the universe, not only does he see our planet, he sees you in that seat right now. And you have tremendous value to God. That's why he would go through all this trouble. Let me give you some examples. We often think that the people in the Bible were like super good people and we're super bad people. Not the case. Most of them were pretty awful too. 
And so Jesus chose to hang out with some pretty bad people. I mean, Jesus even said, I didn't come for the ones who were good. I came for the ones who were bad. And he hung out with those kind of people. One of Jesus's best friends was a woman named Mary Magdalene. And let me in on, a, I'll let you in on a little bit of history. Nowadays, it's not a big deal if, uh, if, if, if a man in here wants to hang out with a woman, as long as your guys aren't married to other people, right? It's not a big deal if a man and a woman go get a cup of coffee. In Jesus's time, a man and a woman just didn't go to Starbucks. They didn't have Starbucks. They didn't go to a coffee shop and just hang out with each other. It was scandalous. Look at what Jesus does. <laughs> Not only is one of his best friends a woman, the woman was known to formerly be demonically possessed and a prostitute. It was one of Jesus' best friends. Hung out with her all the time. Another one of Jesus' best friends was a man named Peter. Peter had anger issues. One time, Peter cuts off a guy's ear, and Jesus is like, come on, Peter, put the ear back on. Don't do that. <laughs> Peter had anger issues. Not only did Peter have anger issues, this hot-tempered business owner, he denied Jesus three times in one day. Now, I don't know how you are with your friends. Kyle, worship leader, he's a really good friend of mine. If we were to party and I heard that Kyle just acted like he'd never met me before one time, that would hurt my feelings. If I found out he did it three times, he'd have to find his own ride home or something. That's just not cool, right? That would hurt your feelings. Peter did that to Jesus three times. Another one of Jesus's friends was a guy named Thomas. I don't think any of us would have liked Thomas before the crucifixion. He was kind of the know-it-all pessimist, right? He's kind of like that emo kid that no one wanted to hang out with, Thomas. Doubting Thomas. And then the rest of the disciples were, were, were like this motley crew of individuals. Some of them rich, some of them poor, some of them educated, some of them from royalty, some of them not from any of that, right? So Jesus hung out with this really ragtag group of individuals. And what these people were, just like us, is they were products of this fractured relationship from God, they had sin in their lives, just like some of us have sin in our lives, and it creates this distance from God. And listen, when we're distant from God, we're confused. We're unstable. We're riddled with guilt, and we're greedy. We're disobedient. We can be arrogant and doubtful. We have insecurities and faults and failures. It's because of sin. It's because of the fall of mankind. But what's beautiful about God is when we spend time with God, God doesn't leave us the way he finds us. If you read this book, it starts off with a fall, but it doesn't end with a fall. Even though we fell away, we went astray. God went running after us, and he eventually caught up. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us, and the cross paid for our mistakes. It paid for our rebellion and sin and lust and greed. It paid for all that. Not only that, the fact that Jesus resurrected shows that God has the power to restore us. That no matter how broken we are because he rose from the dead, says to us, he has the power. If he can be resurrected, I can be resurrected. He can do it to me too. He can fix me as well. Look at this. Pre the cross, Mary Magdalene was a demon-possessed prostitute. After the cross and the Holy Spirit, 
Mary became one of the most influential leaders in Christianity in a male-dominated culture. This woman was extremely influential. Peter, the hot-tempered guy that denied his savior, not only was he forgiven just as many times by Jesus as he denied him, he became the leader of the church. The first sermon ever taught after Jesus died was by Peter in Acts chapter two. Became extremely important. Old doubting Emo Thomas, right? Went as far to India, spreading the gospel. 2,500 miles away. Obviously, he didn't have any more doubt, did he? That doubt had been relieved. And the rest of the disciples, these guys who were kind of screw-ups for the most part, but after the cross, it says in the book of Acts that the disciples were the men who flipped the world upside down. They changed the world. And billions and billions of people have had their lives changed because of what this ragtag group of men went out and did. Look at what God can do to us. Here's the thing, though. God doesn't just restore us here and now and put our lives together now. Jesus has also promised that there is a place waiting for us after this life. Now flip way back to the back of the Bible. Look how quickly we went through all this. We're in the last chapter of the Bible already. Amazing, right? You can tell all of your friends we went through the entire Bible in 40 minutes. John, one of the disciples of Jesus, wrote this. He says, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. Verse 4 is important. It says, They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. We started off this lesson in a garden. The very beginning of the Bible, we find a garden. Oddly enough, at the end of the Bible, we also end in a garden. The difference in these two gardens is the Garden of Eden was in a place like right at the beginning of creation. It doesn't exist anymore. This garden that we're going to be in for eternity is in a beautiful city that's going to last forever. It's in the middle of this huge, if you were with us for Revelation, this huge city on a new earth, a new universe. In the middle of this city, there is kind of a central park or a central garden. And in the middle of that garden is the throne of God. And it says in Revelation that the river of life flows out of that throne. And on each side of this river that kind of flows down the main street of the city in heaven, there is an orchard of trees. Isn't it fascinating? It's because of a tree that we ended up in this whole mess. And it will also be because of a tree that we get to live forever. These trees will have fruit that changes every single month, 12 different kinds, and we will be nourished from these trees forever. It says the leaves of these trees will bring healing to the nations. Our physical restoration, 
our spiritual restoration will happen from the water, from this river of life, and from these trees of life that go down through this main street in the city, in this garden. Maybe the neatest thing about this passage is it says there's no need for light anymore. There will be no shadows in heaven. There will be streets, but no street lamps. The illumination of God will replace the need for any kind of artificial light. It will even replace the need for any natural light, for the sun. And what's fascinating about this book, you should read this book. What's fascinating about this book is it spans millennium, right? Thousands and thousands of years of history. But at the end of it, which is the future, the end of this book is really just the beginning. The life that we live is over and now we have eternity and we'll inherit a new earth. And in this new earth, there'll be this beautiful city with gold and all these different kinds of stones that are beautiful and pearly gates. And in the middle of that city will be a beautiful garden But most importantly, what it says in this chapter that I just read in Revelation, it says that they will see his face. Do you know the Bible says that no man has ever seen the face of God? Paul says that God lives in an unapproachable light. But one day, not only will we be restored, us, we will have such a perfect relationship with our creator that we will get to look into the eyes of God the one that spoke the sun that you will feel when you leave this building. He spoke that into existence. And one day we'll get to look at his face. No man has ever done that. And we will get to do it. So what is the purpose of this? What we're doing right now? Why is it so important that we remember the resurrection? It's important because the resurrection served a purpose. The resurrection was a bridge There was a chasm between God's creation and God. And the death, burial, and especially the resurrection bridged that gap. So now we have a means to have a relationship with our creator. Here's the other interesting thing about the resurrection is if we give our life to Christ, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And the closer we get to Jesus, listen, the further we get from sin, Jesus' sin, and the closer we get to him, the further we get from sin. And the further we get from sin, the further we get from the ramifications of sin. Guilt, shame, doubt, fear, anger, hopelessness, worthlessness. The closer we get to God, the further we get away from these negative things. And the point of the resurrection is this. It's to give us back the value that we forgot we had. Or maybe you never knew you had. We live in a culture where we try to find our identity in everything. Everything. The color of our skin, our nationality, our sexual preference, our gender, how much money we make, our education. We try to find our value in everything. And here, here's why we do this. I don't know if you know this or not. The greatest need of all people is one thing. It's to be known, to be recognized, for people to see you and know you, who you are. That's why we have social media. That's why we dress a certain way. That's why we hang our diplomas on the wall. That's why we work our butts off to get this house in that neighborhood. It's so we can feel valuable, so we can be recognized 
And what we have is we have a culture that is trying so hard to be known. And listen to me, if no one on this earth knows who you are, if the boss has never met you, if your neighbors have never recognized you, if you've been abandoned and abused, if no one on this earth gives a rip about you, the one that you are made in the image of looks down and it says in that Bible that before you were even put together in your mom's stomach, God recognized you. You have value. And we live in a culture where young women are starving themselves to death to be recognized. We live in a culture where men are doing everything they can to achieve everything they can so they can be recognized and somehow find some kind of value. But God is saying, you're not made in the image of money. You're not made in the image of gender. You're not made in the image of your nationality or your sexual preference. You are made in the image of God. Paul said there is no Jew or Greek. There's no rich or poor. There's no male or female. We are all one under Christ Jesus. That's where our identity comes from. That's where our value comes from. But not only does God want you to know your value now, not only does God want to change your life your marriage, your relationship with your kids. Not only does he want to do that now, God has something for you in the future. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, hey, in my father's house are a lot of rooms. And then Jesus says, if that weren't the truth, I wouldn't have told you. See, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you and I, a place for us to enjoy for eternity, a place to where we can flourish, we can explore, we'll live in perfect health, we'll live in perfect community and safety, we'll be free from any kind of darkness, free from depression and anxiety and fear and oppression. But above all those things, we'll have a deep, intimate connection with God. Just like Adam and Eve walked around in a garden, one day if we follow Christ, one day God's going to walk up to us in a garden and say, hey, Corey, you want to go for a walk? And I'm going to get to walk with God. I'm going to get to talk with him and hang out. So this may be the most simple thing you'll ever hear in church. This may be the most simple thing you'll ever hear. It's also the most important thing you'll ever hear. The greatest words that have ever been penned are from John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him will not die but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, he came, he gave us the example of how to live. He died for us. Paul says while we were still sinners, Christ died. He rose again. Why? Because he wanted to build a bridge between us and him. He wanted to connect with us. He wanted to spend time with us. He wanted to restore us, and he wants to be with us in perfect harmony forever. It's the good news. It's the best thing you'll ever hear. I hope that something today, if you're in here and you're, you're not a believer, I hope that something today resonated. I hope that some of you in this room who've been abused, those of you who've made mistakes, those of you who've been abandoned or hurt or have deep wounds, 
I, ho I hope you hear clear as a bell from me that you're not worthless. You're valuable. God sees you. He knows where you're at. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you've done. He knows what's been done to you. And he still loves you. He still loves you. If you're in here and you're a Christian, but maybe you've just forgot the simple gospel. We have a good way as Americans as kind of convoluting things. And sometimes it's very simple. That God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die. And if we would just believe in him, we won't die, but we'll have everlasting life. If you're in this place and you are not a believer, up here on both sides of the stage, Greg is up here to my left, Dave is up here to my right. They're both pastors at this church. If you are interested or curious or maybe you just, you know, your mom talked into coming this morning, but something happened and something spoke to you. These two men, they don't know everything, but they're very learned men. They've been Christians for a long time. If you have any questions for them, please ask them. There'll also be men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, I got to pray with a family after the nine o'clock, just got diagnosed with cancer. He goes in for surgery next week. If you need prayer for something like that, we're not afraid of cancer. We're not, a praying for, we're not afraid of praying for big things. We're not afraid of praying for small things. You got a job interview? Let's pray about it. Thinking about making a move? Let's pray about it. You have family here that will join with you in those things. The last thing is this. There's communion all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table. Listen. It's Easter weekend, it's resur resurrection weekend. I know there's ham waiting for you somewhere. <laughs> I know there's chocolate waiting for you somewhere. But even better than the ham and even better than the chocolate, you have the body and blood of Jesus Christ that we can partake in. Listen, I encourage you, take that this morning. Ask God to forgive you of your sins Take that communion. Everyone is welcome to do that. We do it very personally here. Take that and remember that God loves you so much. You are so valuable to him. Last thing I'm gonna say, guys, I have two beautiful girls. I wouldn't give one of them for one of you or all of you. Jesus Christ gave his only child. Even to people that reject him, that's how much he loves us. When we take that wine and we take that bread, that's what that reminds us of. The fact that Jesus came and died for us. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we just wanna tell you thank you, God, for everyone in this room. We wanna tell you thank you, God, for all you've brought us through, even if we don't recognize it all, God. Lord, for everyone in this room, whether they be a believer or non-believer, God, I pray that you protect them. Pray that you keep them safe, Lord. I pray, God, that you let us know that we are valuable, not because of anything we've done or haven't done, but because we're made in your image and you love us. Lord, if anyone has questions, please let them ask. If anyone needs prayer, please let them get prayer. If anyone wants to take communion and just kind of meditate and think about what you've done for us, Lord, please let them do that. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you so much for this weekend. God, it's all in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great day. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.